I V M. Welcome to the Equity Sahiya podcast with Mozilla Oswal Asset Management Company. This podcast will delve into the investment insights and philosophies of Mozilla Oswal Asset Management Company and speak about the frameworks used by them to assess various sectors for investment. Folks, welcome to the show. My guest today is Shrinath Mithanthaya, Senior Vice President at Mozilla Oswal Asset Management Company. The topic for today's episode is the wealth creation studies. Shrinath is the author of the wealth creation studies since 2007. We're going to be talking about the wealth creation studies from Motilal Oswal because these studies take place every year. Roughly by the end of each year, Motilal Oswal comes out with this really in-depth analysis of the best wealth creators in the stock markets and it's a very very educative very informative study full of insights in this podcast in this episode we are going to be talking about the origin of the wealth creation studies the methodology of the wealth creation studies what it means what it is what are the frameworks that are created and finally what it means to you as a listener remember that all of the wealth creation studies are available for free on motilal oswal's website and to know more about that let me just introduce our guest Ritavi who can tell you much more about these studies shrinath welcome to the show welcome to the recording thank you so much for doing this for us Hi. let's just start with a bit of background to yourself uh, your qualification uh, how long you've worked with motilal oswal asset management company and then you know we'll start with the origins of the wealth creation studies yeah hi anupam and hi everyone Uh, I started uh, my career with Mutilal Oswal in 2005, and uh, I joined their institutional equities group. And uh, that's when Ramdev Ji and I got into the co-authoring of the wealth creation study. And uh, yeah, it's been an exciting experience. Each study is uh, new, has novel ideas. And the study goes back all the way to 1996. Actually, this is—I mean, you—you—you you, you might have joined Ramdev Ji in 2005 or 2007 Seven. for doing this, but yeah. this actually goes back all the way to 1996. Yeah. amazing and it's been 23 studies now and uh, one interesting thing apart from it being uh, easily downloadable on the website because uh, 23 studies roughly 30 pages each is almost <laughs> 700 pages that's a lot so that's a lot to read so what we've done actually is something interesting we've concised that into 70 page con- compendium huh. and called it the art of wealth creation wow and uh, it is listed on amazon and people you should you know you should check that out it's called the art, art of, of wealth creation and you should look up that book on amazon shrinath this is only on india right i mean we look at wealth creation all over the world most of our thinking most of our reading is probably from dow jones or us or something but this is unique right 23 years every year the study has focused only on indian equities only on indian equities that's fantastic yeah. so let's start okay let's first get into the methodology i want to understand um you know what is it when you say wealth creation or i am you know if i look at wealth creation from my perspective i'll just say i invested in stock markets how did my money grow yeah. but when it comes to listed companies okay it's a little bit different so let's start from there yeah in fact interestingly the very term wealth creation is also almost proprietary to uh, motilal oswal group mm-hmm. as a whole no other brokerage house or financial services group uses wealth creation in that uh, format we have been using this uh, right from our uh, early years Where we said we create wealth most, right. where M O S standard for Motilal Oswal Securities. <laughs> okay. So we we kind of uh, owned the term wealth creation. Okay. 
and uh, that then ha- has got even more streamlined now over the 23 years by calling it a wealth creation study sure so uh, let's go let's get back to 1996 mm. uh, our co-founder uh, ramdev agarwal he happened to read a book by phil fisher common stocks uncommon profits and uh, there it was written it seems logical that even before thinking of buying any common stock the first step is to see how wealth has been successfully created in the past so what we are saying is before trying to understand wealth creation of the future it is best to understand the past first sure so that statement is in fact is the genesis of our wealth creation studies so every wealth creation study has two parts the first part is what we call the data part and the second part is what we call the theme part so it's the data part which looks at the past and the theme tries to give insights for the future right so what do we do in the past what what is wealth creation how do we define wealth creation so wealth creation simply said is difference in market cap of a company over a period of time in our case 5 years but then uh, market cap can increase due to various reasons including companies can issue stock yep. which will lead to increase in market cap they can acquire other companies by issuing stock um, by through a stock swap sure. that will also increase market cap but that is not evidence of wealth creation so what we do is we take the difference in market cap for the last 5 years and then adjust the market cap for all these uh, what we call corporate actions sure fresh issuances acquisitions buybacks maybe who knows buybacks yeah. yes then we arrive at what we call the net wealth created that is difference in market cap less adjustments is equal to net wealth created which means that you take the market cap on let's say 1st april of 1996 and compare it to 31st of march 1991 right we're talking 5 years out here correct okay yeah, yeah 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 then we rank the companies in descending order of net wealth created and then we pick the top 100 companies and call them the wealth creators for this study so that's how we come to the top 100 mm-hmm. and then these very 100 we sort based on change in the price because that is finally the speed of wealth creation correct so we arrive at the fastest wealth creators i mean the biggest wealth creators and then when we get to the price change we come at the fastest wealth creators so these are the two most important parts of the data study which means if i've got it right you say that at the first level your market cap on the last day of the study versus the first day of the study should show a big change and then comes the pace at which it happens perfect okay perfect yeah please then having got the companies then we get into the slicing and dicing of these companies which industries do they come from okay uh, what is the ownership pattern of these companies how many of them are government owned companies how many of them are private companies what was the valuation of these companies at the beginning of the study period what is the valuation of these companies now sure so what was the earnings growth of these companies what was the valuation re-rating of these companies so all kinds of slicing and dicing happens when we get this list of 100 wealth creators as we call them okay that's it so that's mainly about the data part mm-hmm. then we see what's the theme for the future sure sometimes the theme comes from the data itself sometimes it's independently arrived at through a process of uh, brainstorming or sometimes it may be a book which we may have read uh, during the course of the last year hmm. which may provide some frameworks and insights uh, for the theme so then we come up with a theme so it's mm, interesting right because you're saying that you know i'm sure that every year the companies won't be the same what you've called as manthan the churn which yeah. leads to the mantra which is the theme yeah right so that's that's how it works i mean you see how the trend goes you see which sector which what's the ownership and then you figure out okay what could be the theme behind these companies yeah okay go on every year as i said it's a different theme 
and uh, looking back we've covered several themes like uh, great good gruesome what we call it winner categories and category winners blue chip investing economic moat so all of these various themes were covered independently mm. and since uh, i would say our 1996 study didn't have a theme maybe the initial 2 3 studies had only the data part yeah when 4 5 years down the line we also started covering themes for the future okay so uh, maybe we've covered so far about uh, 15 to 18 themes right and only after covering these themes has our investment philosophy evolved which is which we now call qglp quality growth longevity at a reasonable price right but looking back we can see which study led to what piece of our philosophy and how possibly it has uh, evolved so as i said all our various themes which i was just mentioning great good gruesome uh, winner categories category winners blue chip investing economic moat can we just get into these themes for a minute like i like the term great good gruesome so sure. for what exactly is that and <laughs> that sounds good and bad also at the same point <laughs> yeah, of yeah, time yeah. so what exactly is great good gruesome yeah it's interesting this term was first uh, introduced rather to us in warren buffett's 2007 annual letter to shareholders okay yeah so as i said many of our themes come through reading yeah. so this was one which came from warren buffett's uh, uh, annual letter so what he said there is basically that uh, all companies can be classified into one of these three groups great great good, good or gross okay so he calls great companies as those whose return on capital keeps on rising every year okay they have a very strong franchise and they need very little capital to grow so the return on capital keeps on growing every year mm-hmm. that's he defines as great companies then we come to the good so good companies also have healthy return on capital but uh, frequently they require more capital to ensure their growth okay so they are not as great as the great companies they are good but require a lot of capital to grow sure and hence he calls them good companies and then there is the gruesome companies mm. who not only earn low return on capital but then also consume capital to keep growing mm-hmm. so um, they actually are bottomless pits of uh, capital consumption you can say and they actually lead to wealth destruction right so he is called these three companies and uh, three groups of companies rather and uh, one of the simplest strategies of investing success is to completely avoid gruesome companies no matter what the price sure typically these gruesome companies tend to trade at low valuations mm. and hence sometimes tend to attract uh, especially the individual retail investors right but uh, the single mantra for investing success would be to not to do the wrong things which okay. means avoid gruesome companies at any cost right there's one thing that i have uh, frequently heard uh, you know motral oswald talking about what they call as the next trillion dollar opportunity sounds sounds really interesting right i mean yeah. uh, i mean you shorten it for ntd so right. ntd stands for next trillion dollar right what is this exactly yeah this is uh, a proprietary framework i mean we can claim that it is completely <laughs> proprietary to us introduced by uh, ramdev agarwal himself through his various uh, brainstorming sessions sure so what we found that uh, since independence in 1947 it took india almost 60 years to create its first trillion dollar of gdp mm-hmm. that was sometime in 2007 right so in 2007 we got our first trillion dollar of gdp and then due to the power of compounding 
every next trillion dollar of GDP came in successively lower periods of time. So the second trillion dollar of GDP, that is from one trillion to two trillion, happened in about seven years. Okay. We expect two to three. We are we are somewhere around two point two right now. So we expect two to three to happen in five to seven years. Right. And then three to four in around four to five years, and so on. Okay. Because the compounding happens on the higher base. Right. And so every next trillion dollar comes at faster and faster. It comes at lower and lower time. Okay. So this linear growth in GDP mm-hmm. actually leads to exponential opportunities for many uh, sectors. Correct. Uh, one reason for this is uh, as GDP and per capita GDP grows, mm. our basic consumption expenditure, mainly food, clothing, shelter, for example, doesn't grow at the same pace. Because if our income doubles, we don't double our food intake, for example. We don't need another house. We don't double our clothes necessarily. So our... Uh, Basic consumption expenditure grows at a slower rate. That leaves a significant amount of surplus for what we call discretionary spends. So discretionary spends are white goods, that's automobiles, that's entertainment, that is travel, foreign travel maybe, or even domestic travel. So all these are discretionary spends. And uh, it leaves exponential surplus for these uh, heads of expenditure. So many sectors benefit from this phenomenon. So what we call is uh, linear growth, exponential opportunity. Right. That's what happens. And this is on the consumption side. Simultaneously on the saving side, also because of per rise in GDP and per capita GDP, we tend to save and invest more. So this leads to, an, again, a boom for industries like infrastructure construction, capital goods, steel, cement, etc. Sure. So the overall NTD uh, opportunity is what uh, undergrids our economy. Okay. And forms the basis of our growth uh, conviction. Fantastic. Uh, Folks, we're going to take a small break out here because we just discussed the frameworks uh, of Motilal Oswal's wealth creation study. Uh, when we come back, we are going to look at the business fundamentals. It's all good to look at all of this uh, in some amount of hindsight and say that, okay, these, these, these are the frameworks. But when we introduce concepts like valuations... Okay, price multiple or PEG or whichever way you want to look at a valuation, we'll get into a second level of detail into the wealth creation. So we're going to discuss that on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. Hey, this is Shudaditya. And I'm Amit Doshi. And we host Shunya One. It's a really fun podcast where we talk to some of the best entrepreneurs in the country. Yes, talking about everything from their startup challenges to what they're building and all the future of technologies right here. So catch us on the IBM Podcast website app or wherever you listen to your podcast from. Folks, welcome back to the Equity Sahih Podcast with Muthilal Oswal Asset Management Company. In this part, we're going to talk about the actual framework. In the previous part of this podcast, we spoke about uh, the wealth creation study, the methodology and the various themes that come up from there. We're going to talk about how all of these studies have actually helped Motilal Oswal Asset Management Company in the investment philosophy. And all of us know that the investment philosophy is QGLP. I have with me Srinath Mithanthaya, who is the Senior Vice President at Motilal Oswal Asset Management Company. He's going to tell us specifically about the QGLP framework. Now, for listeners who don't know what QGLP is, this is the right time, I think, for Srinath himself to you know to expand on that uh, on that abbreviation QGLP. So, Srinath, let's start from there. Yeah. So, the abbreviation first Q stands for quality of business and quality of management. We we combine these two things into what we call quality. Then G G simply said is growth in earnings and nothing else. Longevity, L for longevity, 
we are saying that both the quality, both Q and G, quality and growth in earnings should be sustained over a long period of time. That's better. And then finally, all of this, that is QGL, all of this should be available at a reasonable price. There's no point paying a very high price uh, even if all these three are present. To really make money, you need to get Q, G and L at a reasonable price. So that's uh, QGLP in short. How have we arrived at this? Uh, it seems like a very structured uh, philosophy now, but it's the evolution is a bit random. I mean, with every new wealth creation study, we come up with one aspect of QGLP. And then over time, what we call this knowledge manthan that has happened over almost 18, 20 years because uh, we came up with the philosophy about four, five years ago. So the knowledge manthan was about 18 years. And then this manthan led to what we call our mantra. And that mantra today is uh, QGLP. Right. So let's just get into a little bit more details of each aspect. Let's start with Q. Yeah, Q. The first part of Q, quality of business. Now, how do you decide it's a high quality business? Because it is said that money is made when a high quality business is run by a high quality management. Ah, okay. So what's a high quality business? In one line, a high quality business is what we call a unbeatable franchise. Now, what is a franchise? We use another framework here uh, to assess the franchise of a company, what we call the Porter's Five Forces Framework. It's a quite a popular uh, framework in management studies. Basically, it looks at a business from five different aspects. Mm -hmm. The first one is interfirm rivalry. How intense is the rivalry of the existing players in that business? The higher the rivalry, the lower the quality of business. Then the lower the rivalry, higher the quality of business. So that's the first aspect. Then the second one is, what is the bargaining power of customers? How strong are the customers? Higher the bargaining power of customers, lower will be the profitability of the businesses, hence lower the quality of business. And lower the bargaining power of customers, higher the quality of business. So typically strong brands uh, and uh, consumer-facing businesses typically have... Uh, high bargaining power with their customers. That is, customers have low bargaining power. Sure. So, a customer will choose Colgate by name. So, and whatever be the price tag on Colgate, he has no control over that. So, the bargaining power of customers is low. Hence, the quality of toothpaste business for Colgate is high. Mm -hmm. Then third, we have the bargaining power of suppliers. Do the suppliers to the business have high bargaining power or low? Higher the bargaining power of suppliers, again, lower the quality of business because... Suppliers then control the terms of trade, what price they'll sell, how, what credit they'll demand and so on. So that uh, reduces the quality of business. Higher the bargaining power of suppliers, lower the uh, quality of business. Fourth, we have threat of new entrants. How easy is it for entrants to enter this business, new players to enter this business? The easier it is, lower the quality of business. And tougher it is, obviously, higher the quality of business because competition becomes limited. And finally, what is the threat of substitutes? So... If the product can easily be substituted, then that quality of business is low. If there are no foreseeable substitutes, then the quality of business is high. Okay. So these five aspects, interfirm rivalry, bargaining power of customers, bargaining power of suppliers, suppliers, threat of new entrants, and threat of substitutes. Sure. These go a long way in helping us decide the quality of business. Plus, uh, there would be other things uh, okay. like, does the company have a strong brand? And finally, the financial reflection of all of this is does the company have high ROE? Return on equity is the final proof of the pudding in terms of the quality of business of the company. Okay. So that's quality of business. 
Then we come to quality of management, which is what we call the 90% rule of investing actually, that much of the successful investing is finally governed by the management. So assessing quality of management, which cannot be reduced to the numbers, which is a complete intangible, actually is the key part of investing finally. Everything else can be reduced to numbers. But uh, we've tried to granularize even quality of management. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we assess management on three major criteria. First is unquestionable integrity. That is the key because no matter how good the business, if it is run by a scrupulous, unscrupulous management rather, it will not create value. So unquestionable integrity is the first uh, test of uh, quality of management. Second, we come to demonstrable competence. That integrity alone is not enough. It should be combined with demonstrable competence. Mm -hmm. And finally, a growth mindset that managements need to be ambitious. They need to have a growth mindset to grow their company and the business. So it's only when integrity, competence and growth mindset all come together, then you can say it's a high quality management. Okay. So we've covered Q, quality of business, quality of management. Sure. Then comes earnings growth. So again, earnings growth is a multifaceted uh, dimension. There are several growth situations uh, which point towards high earnings growth. Mm -hmm. So one of them is again a proprietary, not a, exactly a proprietary, but a framework which we propound the most. Okay. And that's called value migration. It's come from a book by a management consultant by the same name, sure. value migration. Essentially says is value defined as profits and market cap migrates from outmoded business designs to new business designs, which better serve the interests of customers. Mm -hmm. The classic example is the telecom industry, where all the value in the landline telephony has migrated almost 100% to wireless telephony. Because wireless telephony addresses the needs of customers significantly much better mm -hmm. than wire telephony. Similarly, airlines, take the aviation industry, for example. Mm. Much of the value continues to migrate from full-service airlines mm -hmm. to the low-cost carriers. And it's happening in several businesses. In banking in, in India, for example, value is migrating from public sector banks to private banks. Value is migrating from the unorganized sector to the re organized sector in most many businesses. Sure. So, value migration is a key framework for growth in earnings. Okay. Then there are other frameworks like if it's a small company in a large business opportunity, then its growth will be much faster uh, than peers. Hmm. Or if it's an industry with a tailwind, for example, housing finance industry in India, owning a house is a very aspirational thing and demand for loans for housing is very high. So there's a tailwind for the housing finance industry as a whole. So every player in that industry, big or small, tends to grow faster. So there are these various frameworks which point towards earnings growth. So that's about G, growth in earnings. And then longevity. So we have to assess both quality and growth in earnings, how far they can sustain. Farther the better. Because markets are able to assess near-term growth and near-term quality. Because even Bloomberg offers three years estimates for most leading companies. So markets have an idea of the medium term. But they get fuzzy about the long term. And because companies are there for perpetuity. So profits over the long term don't get discounted enough in the stock price. So the longer we are able to see, the better our assessment of value and the price that we are willing to pay for it. Okay. So that's longevity. And then finally price. As I said, all of quality, growth and longevity should be available at a reasonable price. Else there's unlikely that you'll make money. 
So in price also, we try and apply frameworks which we've kind of honed to ourselves and we've kind of mastered that. So one of our proprietary, we can claim this to be a proprietary ratio, what we call the payback ratio. Now we'll have to get into some math here. So payback ratio is calculated as market cap divided by the next five years estimated profit. Okay. And lower the ratio, obviously the better. But what our studies have shown is that if payback ratio is less than one, one or less than one, then it's a sure shot formula for a multi-bagger. Okay, that's payback ratio. But finding such companies is not very easy. They are rare because obviously markets are to some extent efficient and hence uh, they will not leave too many companies on the table for such uh, money making. Hence a reasonably more popular ratio, what we call PEG, P-E-G PEG, which is P-E divided by the growth in earnings. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here too, lower the PEG, the better. And what we found through studies is that Again, if it is 1x or lower, then it's almost a near infallible formula for wealth creation. So these and some other frameworks we use to assess the P of the company. So QGL, available at a reasonable price, is what we believe is a formula for investment success. Fantastic. That's really a lot to think about, uh, Srinath. Let's just get into the final part of uh, the recording uh, of this episode. Let's figure out what this really means. You know, what are the implications of your wealth creation studies for our listeners, for the small investors, for individuals? How can these wealth studies help them? So, we'll have to think uh, a bit out of the box here. Okay. So, what we've come from uh, these wealth creation studies is that uh, institutional investors have an edge over individual retail investors. Sure. So it's a tangential uh, derivation actually. In the markets, there are two kinds of edge or advantage. One is what we call the information edge. That is sheer access to information is high with the institutional investors. They can meet the companies more often. Okay, they have access to brokerage reports and so on. So the sheer information available with the institutional investors is high compared to the retail investor. And the second edge in the market, apart from information edge, is what we call the analytical edge. Institutional investors typically will have a team of analysts to do all the research part. Mm -hmm. uh, they will not only meet the companies, they'll meet suppliers, they'll meet customers, they'll meet dealers, even competitors. Yeah. So their analysis of a particular company will be significantly higher than that of an individual retail investor. Sure. So an institutional investor enjoys both Information edge and analytical edge. And just to clarify, when you say institutional investor, you're talking about mutual funds. Yeah, there'll be mutual funds, there'll be portfolio management schemes, schemes yeah. and so on. Okay. But basically, who run it like a company, an yeah. asset management company, whether as a mutual fund or a, a portfolio management Could service. be an, ins an insurance company, could be a pension fund, whatever. So, Perfect. so people Perfect. for whom this is a business, for, for they do this for a living. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So they have both information edge and analytical edge. Like we, Mutila Loswal Asset Management Company, for example, all our wealth creation studies have given us distinct investment frameworks, which is not available to a retail investor. So we believe we have an edge by if we apply these frameworks in different situations. So what are the implications of this for the retail individual investor? Yes. So if you were to kind of drill it down to three points, we would say first, prefer investing through mutual funds rather than directly. Because as we just discussed, they have an edge over you. Yeah. So prefer investing uh, through mutual funds. Choose mutual funds with a 
well articulated investment philosophy because if we say that that's what an edge is then it better be translated into a philosophy so that even you know what you are getting into so choose mutual funds with a well articulated investment philosophy and then finally the proof of the pudding is in the eating that investment philosophy needs to generate superior performance so again choose mutual funds with a superior performance track record fantastic so invest through mutual funds choose mutual funds with a f- investment philosophy and examine their performance track record okay so if all these three are there then you should choose it wisely yeah. yeah and if even if after all of this if i said no i will invest on my own what would your you know what because a lot of us uh, a lot of our listeners are new to the market they feel that if they spend some time maybe they can crack us some kind of winning formula so do you have anything to tell them if they still prefer to invest on themselves yeah little bit on the lighter way i would say first invest in the art of wealth creation <laughs> go to amazon.com and download uh, the book it's it's it will be useful for you to create some edge but more seriously i think one key source of uh, creating some edge for yourself is through widespread uh, reading so reading all kinds of books on business on investing that helps and listening to successful investors help so finally you need to come up with your own investment philosophy test it over time make the necessary tweaks and then fine tune it and what works for you may not work for uh, everybody else sure. but what works for you should be honed to perfection that should be your formula for success that positive note folks this is a wrap on this episode of equity say yeah we were talking about the wealth creation studies from motilal oswal my guest was shrinath bhatanthaya senior vice president at motilal oswal asset management company folks i hope this was useful for you it was really interesting for me thank you for listening How many times have you motivated yourself to improve your sleep or lose weight or be more productive? How many times have you failed? Hi, my name is Ashtin Doctor. Tune into my show The Habit Coach podcast where we focus on creating small tiny habits to improve your life instead of those big impossible tasks. So make listening to me a habit every Monday, Wednesday and Friday on the IVM podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. or on your favorite podcasting app Sachin Tendulkar Virat Kohli Don Bradman and now Cyrus Brocha okay probably not in the right company i mean don bradman is australian but it's called cyrus says a wonderful show about everything find the show on the ivm podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts cyrus says is brought to you by storytell Keep in mind that if you go through storytell.com/ivm you get a 30 day free trial as against a 14 day free trial on the link right it's very simple all you got to do is log on to storytell.com/ivm millions and millions and millions of stories many written by me